Well, good evening. So my first question is, how many of you are following along with the Bible reading? Anybody? It's been so good. And so many of these stories we've heard forever, and yet it seems like God just brings new things every time we read them. So if you haven't been joining us in the Bible reading, I encourage you to do that. You can do it on the app. You can do it online. There's a whole new website just specifically for that. It's nlcbiblereading.com. It's really great. Um, you can comment. You can do all kinds of things. But um, today in the reading, it was Luke chapter 19, and there's a lot of verses or a lot of things in chapter 19. It starts out with the story of Zacchaeus and how, you know, he really wanted to see Jesus and couldn't because he was too short, so he had to climb a tree, and then, you know, Jesus found him, and at the moment Jesus found him, you know, the disciples were like, oh, he's a bad guy. Why are you even wasting your time on him? And in that moment, Zacchaeus had a heart change where he said, I will give away half of everything I have, like, he just had this huge thing. And then there's the story of, um, you know, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and how he told his disciples, go find a colt that nobody has ridden and just loose him and bring him back with you because apparently they weren't in Texas where horse thieving is illegal <laughs> and a hangable offense still. Uh, but they did. And the master of this donkey was like, okay, sure, take him. I mean, it was really great. And then, of course, in the last part of that, um, you know, there's, there's just so many things in all of these things. Um, but what I really hit me today is that Jesus used a livestock story in the Bible. And if we're supposed to be like Jesus, I think I get a free pass tonight, just saying. Um, but the story of this donkey, if you guys have never been around horses or donkeys or things that are not broke to ride yet, there's a bigger miracle than just Jesus said to go get the donkey and the owner let him have it. Like that in itself is a big miracle. Because if somebody came on your property and said, oh, the master needs it, I'd be like, well, I don't think that's how this is going to happen today. But yet they did. But the bigger part of that is here's this thing that has never been broke to ride. And they throw things on top of him and the, it wasn't scared. I don't know how many of you work in horses, but let me tell you, they're scared when you do that. And then Jesus sits on top of him, and he's totally fine, and, and they make this triumphant entry. Just the miracles that were involved in something that we have heard and yet could maybe overlook a little bit. So it just really is precious to me. If you're not following along, follow along. Um, so we have a tractor on the ranch. It's a big John Deere tractor. Uh, and is there nobody actually at the computer? Daniel's trying to not put my pictures up there. But we'll tell you about this tractor. So we have this tractor on this ranch. I don't drive it because let's just be honest, it's got way too much horsepower. And I've seen Daniel pop willies on it, and I am out on that. So, um, but it's useful. It's a great tool. He moves hay around when the goats need it. You know, he does all these really great things. And, and you know, he has a 10-foot shredder that he shreds all of his land with. And, you know, it's, it's really great. But... I also do have learned to enjoy the scenery as Daniel gets up on this big tractor and, and mows because then you get all the sights and smells and sounds of this big old tractor and he's out there being cute, doing all of his whatever he's doing. And um, I think there actually is a video and a picture if you want to put it up just so you guys get an idea of what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. This is actually Brayden. <laughs> I don't know if you can see it. Uh, so this is the tractor. He's actually moving a big bale of hay, but that's Brayden. And uh, we're going to talk about the place he's seated tonight. But um, so this tractor is useful. And one night, usually it's the kids, or in this case, Brayden, that um, 
go with Daniel and go ahead of him and open gates and cut off the net. Like the hay bales have this string, I guess, on them. And you got to cut the string off before you put the bale down so that the sheep and the goats and the cows don't eat the string because that'll kill them. So there's always somebody that goes along with this whole thing. But one night, I got to do it. And he never lets me do these things. So I, I got to do it. And um, he invited me to ride along with him to do this whole thing. And, so, and then he said, well, come up, sit up here so you don't have to walk to the pasture because, you know, 40 acres and, you know, I'm chunky. So, um, so I actually sat where Brayden was sitting on that fender um, as we went out to the sheep bar. But God really spoke to me while I was riding this tractor. Um, and so I just want to share his heart tonight of what he shared with me. And I pray that you'll just keep your heart open as I express what he said to my heart. Because if he said it to me, it's for all of us. And I'm believing you're going to get something out of it. First things that God told me about this whole thing is there's a will of God for your life, a plan, and a calling. But it's up to you to climb aboard and take the ride. You have a choice. So I could have walked my little self, or whatever, out to the pasture and not climbed aboard and not gotten to ride along with it. I would have had to walk all the way out there. I'm just showing you how big it is. The tractors are like five, or the tires are like five feet tall. They're like taller than I am or close to it. Um, we know that Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and a hope. I don't care who you are, what you've done, where you've been, what color you are, what sex you are, does not matter. God has a will for your life. He has a calling that he has specifically for you and only you can fulfill what he's got for you to do. But he is a gentleman. It is a choice, which means you either go along with it or you walk 40 acres. Like, those are your options. And then we know that from the Israelites. They could have easily walked to the promised land and on an 11-day trip, and yet it took them 40 years to get there because they didn't want to follow along on God's path. Proverbs 19.21, this is the passion. It says, a person may have many ideas concerning God's plan for his life, but only the designs of his purpose will succeed in the end. That means we can make plans, but if they don't line up with what God has for us, what we're supposed to be doing for him, God's not the one that's going to fail. And just in case you guys have ever thought maybe it was God missing something, it's not. It's us. So if, if something is off, it's not God that's missed it somewhere. We've missed it somewhere. So we need to make sure that as we're making plans, as we're taking steps, as we're going along for whatever ride it is we're going on, we need to make sure this is the will of God. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. It's highly important because it says it's his purpose and his things that will succeed in the end. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, he, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So if you don't think there's a plan for your life, there's so many more verses in the Bible that talk about before you were formed, I knew you, and I've called you, and I've done all these things. I've set you up all these places. You're my workmanship. You're created in Christ. There's so many verses that say that. So if you don't know that, we need to get in and show you what Christ says about you because there is a plan, there is a purpose, there is a calling on your life. So once aboard, you made the choice to get up on the tractor. You don't have to walk 40 acres, which is glorious. But once aboard, once aboard, the road on which you travel might have some bumps. And as I sat on the fender of this tractor, I was getting bounced up off 
of the fender as the tractor went over some bumps and some even ground, or uneven ground, I mean. So four things God said to me about this whole scenario. So the first thing is the bumps that I encountered were not brought on by the tractor itself. The bumps came because of life. God does not bring bumps into our life. He doesn't bring sickness, disease, death, sorrow, depression, anything that is derogatory or sad or hurtful or it's going to steal, kill, and destroy. Any of those things, those are not God things. Now, bumps may come in our life. It's going to happen. We live in a world where there are bumps. We know the world's under the rule of the devil. You know, people that say God's in control need to really realize that actually the devil controls the world right now until Jesus comes back and does all the things he's going to do. We need to know things will come. They will. The Bible tells us they're going to come. We need to know it's not God because a lot of times we get in the place of, God, why did you do this? What am I supposed to learn? Have I learned it yet? How many of you guys have heard people say that all the time? And it just... That's not the heart of God. The Bible tells us in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God. He doesn't give us junky gifts. He does not shop at dirt cheap. Matthew 7.11, this is the Passion Translation. It says, if you imperfect as you are, know how to lovingly take care of your children and give them what's best, how much more ready is your heavenly father to give wonderful gifts to those who ask him? Think about it. When your kid asks you for anything, do you give him a, a snake or a black widow spider instead? Do you like kick him in the knee? Or No, we don't do that. And yet people think these things. Well, I've been praying all this time and now I'm just sick instead. God made me sick, so I must be having to learn something. And it's just not true. It's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us he, every good and perfect gift comes from him, that he made a way. He came to give abundant life. He came to seek those who were lost. He gave his only, his life, his very life. I mean, what else could he give? But so many times people get wrapped up with, well, I got to learn something. What am I supposed to learn? Um, so John 10, 10, this is also the Passion Translation. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. That's what God wants to give us. He wants to give us the opposite of all those things. Where the devil tries to steal, he wants to add where he's trying to kill, he wants to bring back to life. Where he's wanting to destroy, he's wanting to restore. And I told this in our membership class this last week because I really think I get the most out of membership class, just so you guys know. Um, <laughs> the, as I've been praying for some things, I'm looking for some things to be restored. And the word the Holy Spirit keeps bringing to me is recompense. You know what the difference is? Restore means you get back what you had. Recompense means you get what you had and then some. And I just feel like God is saying, this is a recompense year. This isn't just a, you're going to get back the very thing you had. No, you're going to get better, and you're going to get more. So he, God does not use evil to teach us something. 
That also does not mean that he will not use what we are going through and to turn it for good. Or that we can actually learn something from whatever we're going through despite its origin. God doesn't just leave us and say, well, you're on your own. Sorry about that. But it means as we are doing it and he's making a way and he's right there with us, he's going to help us through it if we'll only turn to him and say, okay, God, I need you because I can't do this by myself. I need you. You're going you're gonna to have to step in and help me. It does mean you can learn something along the way, but it wasn't God's will for that to happen. God didn't bring it so you'd get to this place of brokenness. I mean, how many of you want to break your kid's arm and then be like, oh, can I kiss it now? Like, that's not how we work as parents. So why would God work like that? Why would he want to hurt us to make us feel better? That doesn't make sense. And that's not what the Bible teaches us. Psalms 138.7, this is also the passion. It says, by your mighty power, I can walk through any devastation and you will keep me alive, reviving me. Your power set me free from the hatred of my enemies. I like that. It says any devastation. Romans 8.28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So our family has had some things happen, y'all know, because you've been here through us, through it with us. Um, Daniel's brother passed away in a car accident back in October. And looking at these things, looking in the natural things, first of all, that was not God's will. God's will is not for people to die in a car accident. That's not who he is, okay? But that doesn't mean he can't turn things for good. And it's hard. You walk through it, and it hurts, and God gets you through these things because he is so faithful. He's so faithful if we will rely on him to do these things. But things that happened is here you are in the midst of trying to figure out how to go on after you lost a 19-year-old kid, and his parents are trying to think how you go on with these things. And then you go to the mortuary and find out it's like $20,000 to bury somebody. So what do you do? And so we, of course, prayed and cried out to God, and he just moved mightily to where not only was every penny accounted for, they had more than they needed. It was a huge miracle. From, like, his vehicle, he, he was in a car accident, so he totaled this vehicle. He had paid, I think, was it $3,000 for it? I think he had paid three, he paid five? And what did he get for it? So he paid $5,000 for this car two or three years ago. They gave him eight for this car. Like just God worked in every way possible. And then uh, we had a very precious uh, minister friend of ours, and she said, God told me that the devil overplayed his hand, and he's going to turn this for good. And everything we have heard, we had his friends come forward that said, you know, just things that really confirmed stuff to the family that they didn't, they didn't know about him. And these young people were coming to Jesus because of this kid. And it was precious and it was beautiful. And God did that. He brought the increase. He brought those lives to him. He can work in the middle of despair. It doesn't mean he got us in the middle of despair. It just meant that when we were there, he met us. He met us right where we needed him, in the bottom of the pit, and he helped us find a way out. And that's what he wants to do. That's what he's here to do is help us out of those things. And the other, the other um, 
example I was thinking about today was, you know, David totaled a car <laughs> uh, back in March, and it was, it's a bummer. <laughs> and we're thinking, okay, God, we just totaled a car. It was paid for, you know, Emma has goats. We don't want to pay for a car payment. <laughs> and it was one of those, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do moments? And I immediately text Pastor Kim because they were in Louisiana. And I said, hey, David and I were just in a car accident. Cars totaled. We're both fine. Praise God, we're both fine because, you know, family just went through that whole situation earlier. And um, we get through all these things and get through all these things. And Daniel said, okay, my grandpa actually bought this car. And when he passed away, we bought it because there were still payments left on it. And so when my grandpa bought this car, um, he paid... uh, I can't remember. I think he paid $10,000 six years ago for this car. And it had low miles, and it was in really good condition because Grandpa didn't drive and, you know, all these things. And we, of course, put a ton of miles on it because we drive back and forth to church. Um, And so Daniel said, okay, it's got new tires, and it's got this and that. And, you know, the car, if you guys have not shopped for cars recently, the used car thing is really odd right now. Like, used cars are more expensive than brand-new cars if you could buy a brand-new car because there aren't any. Daniel said, okay, We're ready to fight for $10,000. That's what we want to get. And I'm going, oh, man. (laughs) And, of course, he works. So that means, Emma, you're going to have to fight for $10,000. That's what this equates to. When he says we, he really means you because I'm working. So I'm thinking, oh, man. And so, lo and behold, the insurance guy calls. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to tell him all these all these pros of, of why we should get $10,000. And he's like, we're going to give you $14,511. And I went, really? Cool. <laughs> like, thank you, God. Like, that was such an answer to prayer because that was more than we were expecting. Like, we knew God was gonna, not going to leave us. And, in fact, it, it was not funny because Daniel was really upset about this whole situation. But it was kind of funny because the devil thinks, ha, huh, I'm really going to mess with you now. And yet we say, okay, God, you can fill in the rest. Like, you didn't bring this. You didn't cause it. But now that I'm here, you're going to fix it because only you can fix it. So just an amazing thing. So then, of course, lo and behold, we find this. We find out what car we want. We found this Acadia, and it was super low miles. It was a 2015. It only has 30,000 miles on it. And we're like, cool. Looks like it's never been sat in. It's never been used. It's amazing. God totally just brought this car because we had looked at cars, and it's scary. So anyway... We get this thing a week to the day that we bought it. I had a doctor's appointment. So David and I went to Waco for my doctor's appointment, and I go to back out. Car does not move. No moving of car. And so I'm like, okay, the brake's not on. I turn off and I do all the things. Car doesn't move. Guess what? We lost a transmission on a 30,000-mile car. And all I could do was laugh. Like, it was so funny to me because we have lifetime powertrain. So stupid devil, first of all, you suck. But second of all, you're trying to put us in a bind where now we don't have a vehicle or a transmission, and we're going to get a brand new one. So ha to you. And I thought about it when somebody asked me, they're like, why are you laughing? Like, it's not funny. And I'm like, it is because he has no idea what he did. He's trying to steal from me. And we're not going to let him because he doesn't get the final say of what we're going to do. God does. And I am believing for recompense. And that's exactly what we got. So the second thing God told me about being on the tractor is you must be seated in the right place. 
Um, Daniel, there is a picture. I don't know if you, you know which one it is, what, where you can see the handle. So when I climb aboard the tractor, um, there's only one spot that would keep me from falling off the tractor. It's a place that was meant to be sat, and it was equipped with a handle to hold on to. So this is, I was sitting there. So you can see, like, the little handle. That's all you get, in case you're wondering. Like, you get a handle. I really feel like John Deere should have made at least two handles, especially after being bumped up out of my seat. But no, there's one handle. But if you're not sitting there, you're in the wrong spot, which means when those bumps come, your hiney is not going to be where it belongs. It's going to be on the ground. And then you're going to get run over by those five-foot-tall tires that are heavy, and it's not going to be a good day. You have to be seated right where you're supposed to be, and you have the choice of where you sit. So your choice is you either climb up to where God tells you to go, and you put your hiney where it's supposed to be, and you stay there, or you get bounced off the tractor, you get run over by the tires, and we hope somebody gets to your house because you live 20 miles from town. I had to make the choice to sit there. Ephesians 1, 17 through 23 says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places." far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that as which to come. And he put all things under his feet and he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So that's great. These verses talk about Jesus being raised up and seated at the hand of God above everything where nothing can touch him because he's above it all. Why is that important? Because Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved. And raised us up together with him and made us sit together in the heavenly places. Have you ever put those two verses together? I really hadn't till today. So not only did he set Jesus up far above everything else, far above all principalities and powers and mights and dominions and names above all names and all those things, but he puts you there too. Which means if he puts you there too, you better be sitting where you belong. Because if you're trying to fight or stand or believe or whatever it is you're trying to do in this life, if you're not in that place of sitting in the heavenlies where Jesus puts you, you are going to struggle because that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. He doesn't want your stuff. He wants your faith. And how does he get your faith? By bringing stuff into your life that tries you and makes you frustrated and makes you so irritated sometimes. But we have to remember, we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That means we're right there with him. That authority that he gave Jesus, he gave to us. But what are we doing with it? Are we deciding to walk? Walk the 40 acres to the sheep pen? No, we are not. We are seated where we're supposed to be, and we are going to take the ride we're supposed to do because that's the way that God made for us to do it. And if that's what he made us to do, shouldn't we want to walk in that direction? 
so many times it's easy for us to go, oh man, it's, it's too hard to do it that way. And all I can see is the fleshly part of this and the natural part of this, the bills and the, the whatever it is, the health problems. But that's not where we're called to be seated. We're called to be seated above those things. And it's our choice. We have to decide, okay, this thing might be there. Pastor Kim and Pastor Steve always say there's the difference between facts. The fact is you have a broken arm. But the truth says you are healed. That's being seated above in the heavenlies. That's taking those things and flipping it and saying, okay, this thing happened. You know, there really is some things I've got to walk through, you know, whether it's finances or health or whatever it is. But the truth says he made a way and I can live an abundant life. And by his stripes, I was healed. And though that is sitting in the heavenly places. God already raised up Jesus and seated him at the right hand above all things. But we were seated with him, which means if we choose to stay seated with him, we also are far above principalities, powers, might, dominion, and all the other things that it named. And if you guys haven't studied the Ephesian prayers, I think we have those Ephesian cards. They are powerful. There are some powerful things hidden in those verses that you really could read over and over and over and over and over thousands of times and see different things because there are so many things that was done in Christ that we still only get glimpses and facets of because it was that much. So the third thing God said is you must hold fast to remain in our position. So it wasn't enough that I sat there. Trust me, I needed the handle. <laughs> and that's why I said John Deere really should have made two handles because as I'm bouncing up off the seat, I'm like, oh my goodness, I really am going to fall and get run over by this tractor. And Daniel's laughing at me because, you know, he could hold on, I'm sure, and not have any problems. But I needed two handles. But we have to make that choice to hold fast. We can't just say, oh, I'm seated with Jesus. How are you guys? No, you have to say, I'm seated with Jesus and I'm above all powers and dominion over all the things, all the powers of darkness, over all the things that the devil's gonna try to come against me. It's a holding fast that makes your seating powerful. There was a small handle on the front of the fender that you can hold on to, and at first, it didn't seem like I needed it. But after the first uneven motion, I knew I had to hold on and risk falling off. You can fall off. You can fall from where you are. And it's not fun. The ground's rough. The tractor tires are big and heavy. But if you choose to hold on, you sit right where you are. And you hold fast to right where you are. And if you do fall, guess what? John Deere also made this really great little step right about here that gets you right back up to the fender where you belong. And now you're going to hold on because you know you can fall. So you've got to hold on fast. Hebrews 10, 23, this is the King James Version. It says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Without wavering. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, therefore know that the Lord our God, he is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And Psalms 89, 34 says, my covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. That means you've got some things to hold fast to because if God said it, it's not changing. It says he's not gonna alter it. 
nothing changes, right? No shadow of changing, or no shadow of turning, not changing. No shadow of turning with him. That means if he said it, we should take that to the bank and cash that check because that's what he meant. He did not misspeak. He was not telling tales. He was not exaggerating the story. This is not a Godfish story. This is a, we measured it. This is really how long it was. This is what we're going to do. That means he is faithful to do what he said he's going to do. What he promised is not just for me because I'm not reading your Bible, right? And you're not reading mine. So that means as he's saying, you and I and all these things, you're reading it for you. I'm reading it for me. That means he meant it for you guys too, not just us. It's a personalized Bible. And if you go in and you circle all the I ams, wow, there's so many of them. Do you know how many are in there? A lot. I should have looked that up. But there are a ton in there. And those things cannot be altered. My covenant, I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. That Bible, that is not just paper. It is the very word of God breathed into life. And as we take those words and as we put them in our mouth, we're breathing life into those things that we're saying. And now all of a sudden, you've taken the life-giving words of God and you're putting those life-giving words into the whatever situation you need life into. That's how we hold fast. We do it by applying the things that God has already provided for. And we don't have to worry about, oh, man, is God going to come through? Has he failed you yet? Because he hasn't failed me yet. He hasn't failed me yet. I love when we sing that song that says he's never failed me yet because he hasn't. He hasn't lied. He hasn't exaggerated. What he said he was going to do, he's going to do. And what he said you can have, you can have. And where he said you're going to go, you're going to go. So get on board. Get on the tractor. Stop walking the 40 acres. It's a bummer. It's not fun. Oh, Ryan says it's over 300 times that it says I am in, in Christ. Thanks, Ryan. Um, so the fourth thing God said to me about this bumpy ride thing is you must be aware. You cannot sleep and expect to remain seated and safe. I had to continually look ahead and keep my hold to remain where I was supposed to be. I couldn't take a time out because a time out means I'm falling and I am too old to fall that far. Just saying. Like, it's not a good thing. Bumps are coming. And if I'm not ready for them, you'll fall, you'll get hurt, or you'll get killed. Because that's what John 10 10 says. He comes except not, or he comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. So that means if we take our eyes off for just a second of what the truth is, what the promises are, what we can have in Christ, that means we're listening or seeing something else. Because you can't look at two things at one time. So if we've taken our eyes off the prize, taken our eyes off Jesus for just a second, we're looking at something else. And if we're not looking at Jesus, you're not aware of the devil and the, his devices, and you'll be opening yourself up to an attack. How powerful that is, that we can be vigilant and looking ahead and looking to see what's coming our way. We're seated. We know we're victorious. We're not scared. We're not living in fear of what's coming our way, but we are aware. We are aware. The Bible says you'll know the times by the seasons, right? It's the same thing. You'll know what's going on because you're aware of what's happening. You're aware of what's going on in your life, what's going on in your circle, because you're watching. 
and you're waiting for God to do things. So we must be aware. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So that part in that verse that says he's walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's a choice right there, guys. That's not a who he will. It's not set that he's going to devour you. It says who he may, which means if you're watching and you see this lion coming, are you just going to stand there? I hope not. Surely it's not you guys that are just going to stand there. <laughs> you know, you know you're going to see this lion coming and you're going to say, nope, not today. You are rebuked in the name of Jesus or whatever the situation is. But you have to be aware and you have to be vigilant and you have to be looking for it. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9. This is the Passion Translation. Same verse, just a different translation. Be well balanced and always alert because your enemy, the devil, roams around incessantly like a roaring lion looking for its prey to devour. So take a divisive, decisive, wow, divisive, decisive stand against him and resist his every attack with strong and vigorous faith. For you know that your believing brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing the same kind of troubles you endure. I love that it says, take a decisive stand against him. You got a choice. You got a choice. We have to choose to stand. Because he's going to try. I mean, you know, he's going to try. That's just how that is. John 16, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And that goes back to Ephesians. It says he already went over all the things of the world. And then the next chapter in chapter 2 says we're seated above those things with him. So that means if he's already overcome the world, you've already overcome the world too because you're seated right there with him. But you got to know. Psalms 34, 19 through 20 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all of his bones and not one of them is broken. We have a lot of bones, guys. I broke a toe last year. It's not fun. It's a bummer. But this says he delivers them out of them all and he guards all of his bones. None of them is broken. He is right there with us. We're seated with him, so he's obviously right there with us because we can't be seated with him if he's not there, right? So we're seated with him. He's right there with us. We've just got to take that step and stay with him. So to take the tractor ride of faith in the green pastures that God has planned for your life, there may be some things you have to do. There may be some things you have to do. Our life of faith is not works-based, but some work is required. So I had to choose to hold on. That's a choice. I had to open some gates. Had to do it. That's a choice. Had to do something. I had to cut the net wrap off the hay bale, and then I had to climb back off after I got down. There are some things you're going to have to do. You can't just sit there and say, oh, my faith. We're glad you have faith. But what does the Bible say that about it? Right? Without works, your faith is dead. Right? 
Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, that lest anyone should boast. So our faith is not based on works. It's not based on works. Our works are the evidence of our faith. Pastor Steve has been talking about some evidence of, of being connected, and it's been so powerful. But this is another fruit. What you're doing is a fruit of where you are, of what your faith is. It's like your faith gas tank. Like, if you're doing this, oh, you're down on empty. But if you're doing this, oh, your faith tank is full. You have got to gauge where you are in your faith, and sometimes that requires some works involved. You've got to take some steps. James 2, 17 through 20 says, Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the, dem even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? We've got to do some things. We don't get just to ride the, the faith apron strings. We've got to do some things. You're going to have to open some gates. You're going to have to take the net wrap wire off. You're going to have to do some things. There are steps we have to do to maintain our faith. That's up to us. And the same verse, but in uh, the Passion Translation, because I like the Passion Translation. So then faith that does not involve actions is phony. I love that. It's phony. It's fake. You can't do it. It's fake. But someone might object and say, one person has faith and another person has works. Go ahead then and prove to me that you have faith without works. And I will show you faith by my works as proof that I believe. How good is that? Amen. There are some things that you are doing or not doing. And it is telling us right where you are in your faith. Just like it's telling you right where I am in my faith. Your works are your evidence. They are your fruit of your faith life. Works are not what produces faith, but they are the evidence of faith. Luke 6, 6 through 10. I love this. If, again, this is one of our, when we read through this chapter a few days ago, um, it's a story of, you know, the Pharisees are always trying to trip up Jesus, right? And so he's coming in, and, and they're all watching Jesus like, oh, is he going to do something naughty? And they, ha he, they have it in their hearts. The Bible says that they have it in their hearts to try to trap him in something. And there was a man in the midst that had this withered hand. And so they're all watching him and they're watching Jesus and they're waiting to see, like, is he going to do the naughty thing and heal somebody on Sunday? Like, that's what they were hoping for. But it says, now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught, Jesus did. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, watched Jesus closely whether Jesus would heal on the Sabbath, that they may find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy? And when he looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored and whole as the other. The man with the withered hand had the faith to stand up in the middle of their church service and stick out his hand in a gesture of his belief. Jesus required an action. Notice he didn't just say, you're healed. No, he told him to stand up and stretch out his hand. 
wonder what would have happened if he wouldn't have. I wonder if he would have missed it. I wonder if he would have went on with a withered hand or whether God really would have just moved. I mean, God can do stuff on his own behalf, but most of the time it takes an act from us. It takes an act of faith. Works alone will not produce victory in your life. This man could not have healed his own hand. He stood up, he stretched out his hand, yet if he wouldn't have coupled with faith, he would have lowered a withered hand. So he did the work, okay? So we talked about works and faith and how they're all related. Even if he would have stand up in the middle and he put his hand out like, yeah, this isn't gonna work. Guess what? He would have let down a withered hand. He didn't have faith. You gotta have both. You can't just do the work. You gotta have the faith. But he didn't. It tells us that he stood up and he stuck out his hand but because his actions were the fruit of his belief in Jesus, long before he saw the evidence that for what he was believing, his hand was completely restored. It's amazing. Just a little bit of faith. When faith is coupled with steps taken by and through faith, only then will we see the promises of God fulfilled in our lives and walk in true victory. So we've got to couple those things together. We've got to couple our faith, and we've got to couple a little bit of steps. God's going to require some steps. We've got to couple them together. One doesn't work without the other. So as we're finishing this up, one of the things is you guys obviously know I have made some changes to my health situation. I'm just working on restorings, well, I'm not doing the restoration, God is, but I'm trying to work on my gut health. So that's what I've been doing. And I've been doing this process for about six months, and it has brought some changes in my life. But the other night, I had eaten something that was funky. And not like chips and, you know, chips and dip funky. I mean, like I had steak that had a funky seasoning on it, like that kind of funky. And it makes me feel sometimes like my body is shaking, but I'm not really shaking. And so I was up in the middle of the night praying and talking to God and standing in faith. And I actually end up listening um, to uh, Pastor Trina. If you guys don't know her testimonies, she has many amazing testimonies, just like Pastor Steve and Pastor Kim do. But she was talking about her asthma, or she had asthma, and I guess it was pretty severe, which I didn't really know. But um, it was pretty severe, like life-threatening severe. And she was talking about how she had done all these steps in the natural, but it kind of was Pastor Mark that said, but you're not remembering that it's God that's got to do the work. You're doing what you're supposed to do in the physical, in the natural, but it's God that does the work. And it really just hit me that I've been taking some steps to bring some change, and some changes have happened, obviously, but... It's not on us to rely on ourselves to fix things. Now, we are going to require some steps. We've already said that. God's going to require us to do some things. He, we don't get to go play in the street because we say God moved the cars. Like, that's not how that works. No, we still have to do stuff, but we should be saying, God, you're doing the work. I'm believing for it. I'm healed because by your stripes I am healed, and if I was healed, then I am healed now. And we should be doing those things. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in the whole, this is what I'm doing. I'm not eating this, and I'm doing this instead, and, you know, all these things. And those are great things. 
Those are great things. Do the things you're supposed to do. The, what I'm doing in my own health stuff, I really believe God directed me to do some things, and I'm doing those things. But don't get so caught up in the works of it that we miss the faith part of it. Because without the two together, I'm really not going very far. No one is going very far. So it just really hit me when she was saying, we've got to take steps and use wisdom. It means we use the correct equation of faith plus steps to receive from God. We can't do one without the other. It just doesn't work. And it might change some things in the natural. I've had some things change in the natural with my body. But that doesn't mean I can finish it. I can't finish it. God's got to finish it. And I believe he's finishing it because he's faithful and true to his word. And his word says, by his stripes, he bore our sicknesses and disease. And by his stripes, we were healed. And if we were healed, we are healed. And so those are things that we need to start saying, okay, God, I've tried to do it on my own. I've made some steps. I've made some decisions. I'm cutting out, you know, whatever it is you're cutting out. Um, but now you've got to meet me in the middle of this because I can't do it on my own. I can't finish it on my own. You have to finish it. And the beauty of this whole situation, even though it can be frustrating to people that like to control everything, like maybe somebody you know, uh, is that the glory is then to God because I can't do it. It's not, yay, Emma, you did it. No, it's, wow, God is amazing. He completely restored me from the inside out. It's like having a whole new digestive system, and I'm not allergic to this, and I don't have problems with this. And guess what, guys? God did it because I can't do it. And that's what he wants. He wants the glory to go to him. And even though it's not God that brought these funky issues in my body or is trying to bring these funky issues in my body, no, but God's going to work through it, one. Two, my faith is going to help me get through it. And three, the glory is going to go to God in a testimony of it. And we need to start saying, you know what? I'm healed. That's my testimony. My testimony is I'm healed walking forward. I'm healed from, from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. I'm healed by his stripes. I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. And if you go back through Deuteronomy 28 where it talks about all the curses of the law, there's really nothing missing, guys. Like, there, it is all there. Like, blessed coming in, blessed going out. Head, not the tail. You're above, not below. Your herds are blessed, which is the one I say all the time. My herds are blessed and increased. And I hope Daniel doesn't counteract my faith on that. But there's things that we need to be saying and doing, but we can't just do them. We have to have the faith coupled with it to do them. I'm not going to shut up. So the last thing I just wanted to say is if there is something, and maybe it's a healing or a restoration, a relationship, something you're believing for, and you've been working towards it, and yet somewhere along the way, you left out faith out of the equation. You're trying to do it on your own. Today is the day to repent and remedy your heart and get back on the tractor that will take you to the green pastures that you have been promised. What's so great about a green pasture? It meets all your needs. You know, if you, when you look at Psalms 23 and it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, he leads me to green pastures. He makes me lie down beside still waters. It's a beautiful little thing. And you think about it when you're a kid. And if you were like me, you did speech meets. And that was your verse because you already know half of it anyways. So you just do it. 
But if you think about it, why is a green pasture so great? Because it meets all your needs. Everything you need is there. You got the nourishment. You're getting a little bit of water because green pastures have moisture, which means now you're getting water and food. A green pasture usually has some sort of shade. So you're getting all the things you need as he leads you there. And then it says you lie down in them. Why would you lie down in a green pasture? Because all your needs are met. You're not hungry. You're not thirsty. You're not looking for a shade cover. You got it all because you're there. That's why it says you lie down in green pastures. You don't have to eat and toil and work because he did all the work for you. And he's done all the work for us. Jesus already gave his life. He already redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's already provided healing. He's already provided restoration. He's already brought us back into the presence of the Father. What more do we want? He gave us everything. We just have to take some steps to do it. 